0: Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Purple Ponderings with Pankaj. Today I'm very excited to have on our show, uh, Gabe from Make You Safe. And Gabe from Make You Safe actually is, I'm very excited for him to be here because he's actually the first guest who's also a a, a IoT product manufacturer or device maker, as I call it in our language. And someone that, uh, Gabe may not know this, but Few of the guests that I've interviewed have always told me at the end that, listen, you should have someone who's also making these cool devices to be on your show. So I'm super excited uh, also because I've heard of such great things about his company and I'm sure we'll all learn a little bit about. So before we begin, Gabe, would you mind just taking a few minutes and just sharing a little bit about your background and your company um, and, and where you are?
1: Yeah, well, th- thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited for the conversation. Of course, any uh, fellow um, IoT nerd, you know, anybody that's willing to go down that path of, of uh, building a physical product, we've, you know, we've got some crazy in common, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I, uh, I'm i here in Iowa. Welcome to my dining room. As uh, as most of us, you know, we're working remotely uh, when we can. And uh, I, I grew up here in Iowa. I'm the son of a father who is a machinist uh, from for most of my life, and then for the last 20 years, in fact, he just took retirement here um, during the pandemic, but for 20 years, uh, he was a safety manager at a facility uh, where at its peak, I think there was about 2,000 employees that he was responsible uh, for sending home at the end of the day. Um, So me, I uh, I met my wife in, in college, and uh, I, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. I think I tried like three different majors while I was in college. And I ended up getting a degree in business because it's general and it uh, can kind of do anything with it. And about uh, 13 years ago or so, uh, I decided to leave what had been a, a seven-year career in retail uh, to get into the entrepreneurial space and start my first business. And I've had kind of just a winding path of, of things that have led me to Make You Safe and where we are today.
0: Excellent, excellent. So um, with that background, um, Gabe, I'm gonna just launch right into the topic that's very near and dear to, I think both of us, which is IoT. And I just wanted you to just share a little bit about, you know, your perspective on sort of some of these emerging technologies, especially IoT, you know, the fact that you made a bet on it uh, with your startup. So talk to me a little bit about how that happened and why that happened.
1: Yeah, I think first, you know, I like to look at the the problem that, that we're trying to solve, right? I've I've really fallen in love um, with the with solving the problem, not even necessarily with just make you say solving the problem, but but anybody that's helping solve the problem, and and that problem is is too too many people lose their life uh, at, at work every single day around the, the globe. More than a thousand people every single day die in a workplace accident. Um, Which that's a lot of dinner tables that are missing dads and and moms and brothers and sisters. And so having a father that worked in manufacturing pretty heavy industrial manufacturing and then transitioned into safety, um, you know, that 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 was always kind of uh, impressed upon me. And so uh, a few years uh, back. I was actually out touring some manufacturing facilities. I was doing a podcast of my own on on manufacturing facilities, mostly here in Iowa, but I did travel a bit outside of Iowa to tour some. Um, But I was was touring a facility when uh, they were surprised by uh, OSHA. uh, OSHA came in to do an audit of the environment because some of their employees had been experiencing hearing loss. And that was my first exposure to the understanding that a workplace environment, right, the, the the physical surroundings of a person and the environmental surroundings of a person could actually impact their their health, their well-being, their happiness, their ability to do their job. And not only are those things critical to their safety, but they're also governed by laws and rules and regulations. And so that was kind of the aha moment. And that was probably, uh, shoot, maybe four and, a, four, four and a half years ago now, Uh, that that happened, and and really what that inspired um, me to do is reach out to one of the smartest guys I know. That's my co-founder, Mark Frederick. Uh, He was in IoT at the time at IBM, and I had done a couple hackathons with the guy and and gotten to know him that way, and uh, so I reached out to him, and I said, hey, I think the the world could, could really benefit from a change in perspective about how we deal with workplace environments, and that perspective at the time was everything is done reactively right somebody collapses and then we go and we find out that it's too hot or the air quality was really poor um, right everything is always reactive so i said why can't we be constantly gathering the information about the environment around the worker um, and process that in real time to understand when things begin to trend in in a negative direction for that person and the other thing that was really important is we wanted to do it from directly on the, the the individual worker, because as you know, you've probably been inside of a manufacturing facility. Many people have. The environment can be so different even if you're just a few feet away from somebody. If you and I are on opposite ends of a machine, the way that machine sound comes off or the way the exhaust comes off, we, we could be just a few feet apart and be having totally different exposures, right? So we wanted that granularity so that we could really get into the data, and be able to say, these are the things that start to cause the inflection of risk. And let's find those precursors as early as possible to prevent things. So that was what we started our journey doing about four, uh, about four and a half years ago.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So in this journey, you know, you mentioned the problem that you're looking to solve. Um, you know, that problem is a big one, right? Like, you give the the data that you just said which is pretty uh, impactful you know a thousand lives are lost every day uh, because of uh, these incidents uh, what are the like what are the other technology solutions that are at play that you know uh, that are being used or were tried before iot or before you you know came out with your specific solution but because i'm assuming that this has been a problem that's been on for ages. And I'm just curious as to why, you know, what was done to solve it before you, you started your company.
1: Yeah. yeah. And if I might, I'll, I'll jump back to, to a quick story. Um, about 100 years ago, actually, 100 years ago last year, um, there was a factory explosion in my hometown of, of Cedar Rapids. And it just so happened that one of the workers was my great grandfather. And he was, he was not wealthy, he was poor, so he rented a home on the property of the factory. And he had just walked home for dinner that night and walked out of the factory when it exploded. And he ended up spending a few weeks uncovering the bodies of his 43 co-workers uh, from the factory rubble. And those things, although that's catastrophic, right? Um, it was a, a starch factory, right? So combustibles and heat, you know, that's really about all it took we've come a long way in a hundred years, but there's still more that can be done, right? If this many people are are having problems. And so you're seeing a lot of things in uh, in place by way of uh, automation and even more like safety guarding technology, right? Auto shutoffs and things like that. And we've gotten a lot better at keeping, you know, everybody with 10 fingers and toes. Um, But there's also still so much that can be learned about, the human body and how conditions accelerate fatigue, right? And it's typically what we see is um, when really bad things happen. A worker sometimes will make a decision or do something different than they would under normal conditions, and sometimes they're just fatigued. Whether it's you know environmental conditions that accelerated that, maybe they're they're experiencing heat exhaustion or, or they're um, you know there's an air quality issue. Um, we're just other things that are at play and, and we've never gathered that data. That's the really interesting part. I mean, we'll put, we'll put a thermostat on a wall a hundred yards away from workers and we'll say, Hey, when that thing hits 90 degrees, we're going to go on heat protocol. But what about these four workers next to this machine where this machine is belching out heat and it's 115 right there, right? That's, that's risk for, for the worker. So we've done a good job of progressing to a place where we're not having factories explode every single day. Um, You know, and, and that's, that was very commonplace back then, or um, you know, more catastrophic accidents, but that doesn't mean that the individual loss of life, you know, the individual incident is not just as important and it's great that we're at the place now where we can focus on that. But I think it's technology like make you safe and others that are, that are in this space that are going to help provide the data that will allow us to do that.
0: Awesome. So great segue to my next question, which is, you know, you mentioned you've been at this for about four, four and a half years. You've collected a lot of data. What are some unique insights that you've gathered? Like what have we learned, which is
1: like maybe aha. Insights oh, man. From
0: your perspective, yeah,
1: yeah the, man, there's so many. We've had great situations where we've been able to identify that workers are being exposed to something that they didn't realize, like from a, a sound is a great example, right? That's what inspired this thing. Um, so we have the ability to send notifications when people reach, um, a certain level of exposure to sound, right? we we act as a full noise dosimeter, you know, just like OSHA would use for, for an audit. Right. Um, and so we're tracking that time weighted average and we know, if If Gabe's been on shift for only three hours and he just hit ninety percent of his allowable threshold of sound that's that's a pretty big deal right We need to to find out what Gabe's doing um, and make sure that he's got hearing protection or or, or things like that. Um, we have a lot of interesting things around motion. Um, I think human motion is one of the more exciting things that we deal with a lot of data from uh, from our accelerometers, and we look at everything from trying to identify slippery surfaces and, and trip hazards and things because we all know if somebody trips over something and they don't fall and get hurt, nobody takes the time to go fill out a near miss report form in a factory for the accident that just, you know, didn't ha- didn't happen, right? So, um, but that's a that's a leading indicator, right? That's a precursor. Somebody's going to come and trip over that same crack or that same hose or that same pallet and they're going to fall and they're going to get hurt and then you're going to have an injury, you're going to have a loss claim, right? Um, so we're gathering a lot of data like that but even still just understanding um, the physicality of of labor, right? The amount of exertion that workers have to do to do certain types of jobs. um, And how does that compare to their peers across industries? The the exciting thing now is, yes, we've been working on the project for over four years. We've been iterating on the technology. Uh, We did a bunch of pilot deployments in uh, 2019 where we gathered some really good insights. But we're now live in the field with production equipment, and we're now getting uh, data from a lot of different um, workers and a lot of different types of facilities, and we're growing our data set to where we can get to to a place where, you know, as a customer, they can understand not only their information um, and the data about their workforce, but how does that compare to other people, right? And we can't show them, you know, my name, who they're comparing to, but other people in their industry, right, In, in large construction or in you know light duty metal fabrication right how do they compare and how can they how can they improve
0: awesome awesome so you know that leads leads me to a, a question for you which uh, i think uh, a lot of us face right so from a business model perspective right so you you you've got um, you know the insurance company that's a stakeholder a, the business itself is also a stakeholder, right? And I'm sure you've experimented with targeting both as customers. So talk to me a little bit about how your business model has evolved. What have you learned in interacting with these different types of stakeholders?
1: Yeah, I'll, I think I'll answer it in two ways. One is um, how, how we have evolved our model itself and how we, we charge customers, which today we're what we call a system as a service enterprise solution. So we've provide the hardware technology we provide the data platform we provide all of the you know necessary webhooks or apis if somebody wants to extract data and things and all of it is packaged as a service for a monthly fee so they don't have to buy hardware equipment up front uh, or anything like that it's all leased as part of that system Um, that came through you know multiple iterations of trying different things and just landing on you know what's the easiest for people to understand when you package it all together and you say here's the price right so we landed on that. When we look at how we uh, acquire customers, I would say today, we have a pretty good 50-50 split right now between companies that we're working with where the insurance carrier uh, brought that company to the table, they're either subsidizing the cost, they're paying outright for the cost, or they're offering some sort of subsidy or discount to the to the policyholder for having our technology. Um, and, and in that, they get to share in some of the data that we pr- produce. Um, uh, to be able to to deploy their resources better and connect with their customer better, right? So we have a kind of a suite of tools tailored to the insurance carrier and insurance customer. Uh, then the other side are very large, you know, Fortune 500 or Global 500 companies where they typically they are their own insurance company, right? They, they, they are self-insured. They'll have a reinsurance backing for something catastrophic, but for the most part, they're paying when, you know, when Jerry gets a shoulder injury uh, on the factory floor, they're paying for that. And when Sally trips over something and breaks a wrist, they're paying for that. So in those cases, it's very easy and tangible for us to be able to go in and run the technology for a period of time, have things get identified that, that they go through and they remediate those risks. And there's a lot of documentation that happens in our platform as they go through those processes. And we ask our customers when something is identified and it is confirmed that it was a hazard and they went ahead and remediated it, we always ask them, what would that have cost you? You know, what if, if that would have turned into an accident, what would that likely have cost you? And what we're finding from our customers is it's well over a 1,000% ROI for what we're charging versus what we're actually finding and helping them identify and and remediate with the technology, which is pretty exciting for early numbers. And we still have a lot to figure out from um, long-term impacts on on mod scores and work comp premiums and things like that. Um, But we're already seeing some significant improvements and things just right out of the gate.
0: Got it, got it. So, um, you know, in in dealing with these, whether it's the self-insured large global 500 companies or the insurance companies, right, which are, uh, that you're working with, uh, selling to them is not easy, right? Or if it is, please tell me, I'll, <laughs> but tell me a little bit about sort of what are the, you know, the obstacles, the hurdles that you've generally faced in the evolution of your company. and then And then talk to me about the one thing that you, if you wish like could change right that would completely put you on a different trajectory
1: i'll answer the second part first right the one thing that i, I wish could change quickly um, it is the speed at which um, insurance industry can use uh, the data that we're producing and help us uh, get the product into more people's hands, right? Because ultimately, the, the it's going to come back and benefit them, right? Yes, they're going to have less um, payouts, right, for, for, for losses, um, but it's going to help them build better relationships anyways, right? They're just going to be a better partner. So those are the things that, that we want to see happen. Um, the challenges that we face uh, in working in that industry, right, is one, it's he- heavily regulated, right? There's a lot of um, what can be done, what should be done. There's a lot of unknowns when you get into an entirely new space, right? Or doing something entirely new and different. Now you can draw very easy parallels between what we're doing and things like telematics, which I know you're familiar with, right? We're doing very similar things instead of plugging it into, to a car, right? We're, we're, we're clipping it onto to a person. Um, so there's some, some commonalities there. Um, But just the cycle for getting the conversations going and getting to a place where where we can actually do something. Now, we've been fortunate that we've been having the conversations with many of them for, you know, two, you know, three years. And we're at a place now where we have product, we're ready. And what we found was we have to come to the table with a pretty end-to-end. Here's how it's going to work. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to provide. Here's all the documentation for it. Here's all the legalese that needs to be in place. Here's what we're going to do for your customer. Here's who owns the relationship. Here's who owns it. We have to spell all of that out and take it to them. Um, and and we found that that is able to accelerate things through the process much better early on. We didn't know. I mean, we didn't. I didn't know anything about insurance. So of course we were excited when they were interested in us. But when I would go and talk to them, um, we were. Uh, we were, unfortunately, we were looking for much more from them. We were looking for the hand-holding from them, and we had great partners out of the gate, I think. Like, you've had Rob on from uh, AF Group. Uh, They're excellent. Um, Folks at EMC Insurance, we've done work with them. Uh, They've been excellent, right? And so they were willing to actually hold our hand a little bit in those early days and provide more to us. I think one of the challenges that that other insurtechs are facing now is, Um, the insure tech industry has grown so much, right? And there's so much whiplash of all the things that they're looking at and trying to decide where is the value and what they could implement. And um, we even talked to carriers today where we're working with their insured already. Their insured has our technology and we're talking to the carrier and we're saying, hey, we want to engage with you guys and have you be a part of this process. And they're going, hey, look, we just don't have the capacity to do it um so i think that's going to be a challenge for a lot of insurtech as there's just enough in the space now and and our, it, i i would assume that's some of the stuff that you're seeing as well um that, that it's just there's a lot to look at now
0: yeah i mean i always feel that the uh, you know i've been i've been in in the insurance industry but on the other side of the table for about 19 20 years and the speed has not changed. <laughs> you know, I wish uh, it's it, I could say that this is an industry that has morphed into something else. Maybe it will. Maybe there's a lot of forces which are you know coming out, coming at it now, uh, which might make them more nimble. But I think it's still some way to go. You made an interesting point about uh, like having that end-to-end answer, right? For someone right mm-hmm. and you have the ability to work with um, a couple of the carriers earlier on because that's really important for like evolution of our insure tech uh, or any startup for that matter right to have that early feedback and guidance so that you know uh, what are the things that you need to have answers for uh, for you to be successful right so tell me a little bit about what um, Tell me the little story. I'm sure there's some story about like, how was that first? How did you get the first person to like back you and say, yeah, you know what? We believe in it.
1: Yeah. You know, from an investment standpoint, we've been very, very fortunate. We've raised over $10 million in capital, which as you know, is incredibly important for a physical product company, right? Just to get to a place where you can make the technology at a cost that doesn't make it cost prohibitive, right? So using uh, tooling for injection molded parts and things like that, it just it takes a while to get there. And some of our earliest backers were folks in the manufacturing space, um, people who have workers and they um, they gen- genuinely care. And you know, I, I think yeah, you know, this kind of goes back to the previous question too a little bit that we're at a bit of an advantage because we can get traction outside of the insurance industry as well. Like we're not reliant solely on insurance carriers to to help us uh, get the product out there. Right. We have customers that they see the benefit, they know the benefit it's right for their workers. So they'll pay for it. It's an added bonus. Oftentimes when we find out an insurance carrier is willing to to take up some of that financial, you know, that, that financial cost, um, which gives us a lot Better potential runway, right? Because we're able to show traction and get traction in other places. If we were slow, solely reliant on traction in the insurance industry, we wouldn't have gotten the more than 10 million raised. We just wouldn't be at the, the traction space that we, that we need to be uh, to, to raise that kind of capital. Um, so we've, uh, we've seen, you know, in those early days, it was a lot of the backers that my, my first question was Do you want to know this information? right? You're a a factory owner. Do you want to know that there's areas of your factory that are are suboptimal for your workers? Um, Or do you want plausible deniability so that when something happens, you go, oh, sorry, I didn't know that the environment sucked, you know? And the the reality is, is there's enough value, um, thankfully, for human life today, and value of the human worker today by most companies that the companies we work with say absolutely we wanna know that information. We, if there's something we can do to try to make it better, we wanna know. We wanna be able to show that we are paying attention to things, we wanna be able to know where we should be spending our time, where we should be spending our dollars, our energy, our effort to try to get the, the best conditions uh, for our workforce. Um, and, and so those early backers were the people that would say yes to that. Now thankfully, you know, I think if we went back maybe 15 years, we probably wouldn't be hearing that as much. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I think back then, workers were a little easier to find. They were a little more dispensable. And um, we're a litigious society today. And the cost of litigation continues to go up. The cost of insuring people continues to go up, right? Uh, The cost of taking care of somebody when they get hurt, right? The medical costs continue to go up. So, there's a financial component that has driven some, some of that, but I also really truly believe that there's a, a compassion component that has dri- driven some of that too, as people have grown up and, and seen, you know, people are people. And if we want work to get done and we're going to use people to get that work done, we need to take care of those people. Um, so it's a little bit of that, that mentality shift. And I think that's why we kind of landed at a really, really good place in time where people are, they're wearing wearables. You know, we're accepting of wearable devices, and we're okay with having things like that on us. And and uh, employers care about people, so I think all of those things kind of came together for a perfect storm.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, changing gears a little bit, Gabe. Uh, next question for you is: With this incredible journey that you've had, uh, tell me the biggest learning that you've had so far, and maybe the one. Achievement. I'm sure there's a bunch of things you celebrate every year, but over the entire life of the journey, what's the one thing that you're
1: most proud of? Um, gosh. Uh, I think, I think um, one of the things that I've learned along the way, um, and it's really shown in this company, I've had some previous startups um, all in the software space. Um, but it really shows that if you have a mission that somebody can get behind and you hire talented people, incredible things can happen. And we have some really incredibly talented people on the team. And I see them online at three in the morning, working on things. I see them on a Saturday, Sunday working on things because they're so passionate about solving the problem and making an impact uh, that, that that they're super behind it. Um, And so it's just the reminder every day to our team that we're trying to solve a very real and tangible problem that is impacting people's lives. And it's, it's our job as founders, right? To help them fall in love with solving the problem and not necessarily just get blinded solely by looking at our solution, right? And sometimes that, that can be a, a challenge to startup founders. We get so focused on our solution, we're forgetting to think about the problem right? Um, and then I think maybe the, the biggest uh, accomplishment uh, or achievement, I, I just remember that first time Mark and I walked onto a factory floor and every worker we, uh, that we saw when we looked around was wearing our technology and hearing from the company that uh, it was incredible what they were able to learn and the things that they were seeing and how their employees were, you know, that you can do voice memos with this. So leaving them voice memos about things that they're seeing or things that they're thinking about and just seeing that vision that we had four years ago on the back of a bar napkin, right? S- seeing it happen in the workplace. Uh, I mean, I was tearing up. That I, I was just a really, really cool feeling to see that.
0: Cool, cool, awesome. So well, you talked about you know watching your colleagues be online at 3 a.m. and Saturdays and Sundays. So that, that tells me Gabe is like a 24 by 7 kind of a guy. Is he? Or does he have time to, you know, indulge in some hobbies, reading? Like, what do you do, if anything?
1: Yeah, I I love spending time with my boys. Um, my, my boys are 8 and 5. And in a way, the pandemic... Uh, it, it's presented a lot of challenges for people, but it was, um, it was really a blessing for me. Uh, I, I had been spending a lot of time away from family. I've been traveling more with Makey safe than I ever have in the rest of my life combined, combined times, times 10. And I had trips to London, Singapore, Malaysia, Nashville, New York, um, Michigan, California. I had all of these trips booked and it was going to be a pretty hard stretch. My wife works full time too, Right. Uh, So it was going to be a really hard stretch, and I was going to be gone more over the course of four months than I was going to be home. And then, boom, the pandemic hit, and all of this stuff that I thought was really incredibly important for me to do in order for our company to succeed didn't happen because I couldn't travel, but the results still came in because I was able to connect with people virtually and I was able to, um, you know, to, to do things from home and everybody was in the same boat. It wasn't just that, that I couldn't travel, it was that nobody could travel. Um, and so over the last, well, since March, I've spent more time with my family than I have in probably the last year, maybe two years. And it's been a super big blessing to spend time with, with both of my boys. Uh, they like to build circuits uh, they they have uh, snap circuits kits, so they like to build uh, their own IOT circuits, and um, I like to read them stories. We like to go camping. We're going to go camping this weekend uh, up in the northeast corner of the, the state of Iowa. I like to go fishing and do that kind of stuff, and it's all these things that I kept telling myself, you know, make you safe is really important right now. It's we've got a lot of investor dollars. Is you know, push this thing and push this thing, and, and we'll hit a finish line, and then sometime when we get to a finish line whatever the finish line looks like then i can spend time doing these things and and we both know that that's we're just lying to ourselves right and so this forced me to to really face that lie and and really build uh some really good memories with with my kids yeah
0: yeah that's really important i mean it's uh i also call i call it the self-care time as well right so You need to nourish yourself enough so that you can get to the finish line. Otherwise, you know, burn yourself out. So that's a a good point. Uh, All right. So for this very last segment, I'm just going to give you a couple of choices. And I just want to know which one do you prefer and why? And um, starting with, say, golf or tennis?
1: Golf. I used to golf five or six days a week, and I haven't golfed. In more than two years, my clubs haven't even come out of the basement, but I what's love it. Your,
0: what's your handicap?
1: Uh, I was down to a 10.2 when I was at kind of my peak. So, all right. Well, all right. We,
0: <laughs> yeah, we should, we should, we should golf, and I, I love golf as well. Um, Iron Man or Captain America? Oh,
1: I gotta go, I gotta go Iron Man. Um, captain america i just saw a movie uh with the actor that, that played captain america and uh it was something like uh 100 knives or something like that it's it was on netflix and he's a he's a bad guy in the movie so now it's like i see knives him as out. captain america but now he's a bad guy so anyways iron man <laughs> yeah knives out it's a good movie though. oh knives out that's what it was yeah
0: yeah um superman or spider-man
1: Man, I got to fly. I got to be Superman.
0: Um, Favorite vacation spot, um, Iceland or Hawaii?
1: Ooh. Uh, Man, before the pandemic, I would have definitely said Iceland. Um, But now, like sitting on a sandy beach, having a cocktail (laughs) sounds pretty darn good. So I don't know. I'll I'll go, I'll I'll split.
0: (laughs) Got it. Got it. And then finally, um, Scarlett Johansson or Jennifer Aniston?
1: Uh, I don't really know much about what Scarlett Johansson was in. So I, I, Jennifer Aniston's a great, great actress. Like, what would, what was Scarlett Johansson and what would I know?
0: So she's Black Widow, if you
1: watch Marvel. I haven't, I haven't seen that one, but All right. so no. She's... It's yeah. okay. Um, Jennifer Aniston
0: it is. I mean, Fair Friends is still, you know, one of my favorite uh, shows and she's just the evergreen Rachel, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, timeless show for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. And then just because we had the last dance come out, curious to know LeBron James or Michael Jordan.
1: Uh, It's gotta be MJ, man. That was, I was in my formidable impressionable sports years uh, when, when the dream team happened. And of course they had BJ Armstrong there for a while too. And he was a Iowa Hawkeye. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely go with Jordan. LeBron's awesome. You know, just a freak of nature when it comes to physicality. But uh, yeah, from a talent standpoint, it was Jordan.
0: Got it. Well, that was it, uh, Gabe. So that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. Is there anything that you want to share with our audience before we uh, wrap up? Uh,
1: you know, just something that's been sticking with me uh, lately is just having this time to, to reflect uh, and and enjoy life, there's so much negativity right now. There's so much division on social media and in the, in the media and in the news and people get, um, they get addicted to, um, to being enraged and being outraged. Right. And, um, uh, I just encourage people to, to remember that, that we're all human and every human life has value and, uh, we're doing our part to try to, um, try to make sure that people make it home and safe but let's make it a world that people want to go home and be safe in
0: yeah i would agree with you i think coronavirus the one thing it has reminded us all is how in in fight you know how small we are right in the overall scheme of things yeah (laughs) a small microbe a virus can you know completely uh, dominate us in a very brutal fashion so everything else is just you know little things that we we can always overcome so yep right on point. So, well, with that, we do come to an end of this show. Uh, Kate, thank you. Thank you. This was amazing. Uh, uh, Appreciate your spending some time with us. And with that, we come to an end of this edition of Purple Ponderings with Pankaj. Till next time. Bye-bye.